We continue our series on the book of Judges, and we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 40. This is a long section. It is a long and interesting section, though. Uh, We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses, uh, and then I'll stop after that and make some comments, and then read the remainder of the chapter. Let's begin. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God's of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, if this is not your first uh, time with us, you'll notice that this is very typical of all the other chapters that we've been following. It's a cycle that happens again and again and again. The Israelites were led into into the land of Canaan, the promised land. God promised to give give it to them and As a result, though, of their uh, violating and breaking the covenant that God had made with them, they took up with other gods and followed other gods instead of following the Lord. And so the Lord would allow them to have uh, military difficulty, uh, and that would spur them to go back to the Lord and to call out to them. And again, we see that happening. And it says here specifically... It uses this analogy of the the fight that Israel is engaged in because the Midianites have come like locusts in the land, taking everything. So who who are the Midianites? You had the Midianites, the Amalekites, and um, the peoples of the east. The Midianites were the distant relatives of Israel through Abraham, Abraham's concubine, and they lived south of Israel. Israel, uh, kind of in an area that would be the extreme northern uh, part of Saudi Arabia right now. We've already heard about the Amalekites. They lived in the southern part of what was called Judah, southern part of Israel. And the peoples of the east lived east of uh, Moab and Ammon in the Syrian desert. And these semi-nomadic people would uh, come and move and, and be there with their tents uh, and they would, al- they would be allied in their fight against Israel. Now, if the Canaanites last week, we learned, had superior weaponry in their chariots that the Israelites did not have, we hear 
We see here uh, an additional advantage that the enemy had, and that was camels. Camels were used in warfare. And so uh, they came in and said the camels were too numerous to count, and they had the upper hand. They had the, um, they had the advantage. And it reminds me of a movie, um, and I'm not going to try to describe the movie to you, but if you've seen it, you'll, you'll remember what I'm talking about. And that is A Bug's Life. A bug's life. Every year, uh, the grasshoppers would come back and would just beat up on these ants to get them, to give them all this food. And so this is what's happened. Every year, it would happen. Uh, as the Israelite would, Israelites would um, have their crops come in uh, like clockwork. Uh, the Midianites and these hordes would come in and just sweep in and take everything away. Not only the grain, but also the ox and the sheep. And, and uh, they would just decimate the Israelites, so much so, and it's easy to miss this if you just read through it quickly, but they, were, they resorted to living in caves. So the people, their settlements, their towns, even perhaps walled cities, they had to abandon and they had to live up in the hills in the caves uh, in this primitive form of life. And so Israel was in deep trouble. Why? Because they forgot. They forgot the Lord. Um, as we find out um, in the account that we're going to read, they didn't forget the actual uh, occurrence of what the Lord had done in saving them and delivering them from Egypt. But they had forgotten in the sense that they no longer believed or trusted in the Lord. Instead, they put their confidence in false idols. As you look at your own life and you do some assessment, do you ever feel like everything's been taken from you? The Israelites had everything taken from them. Um, and maybe we feel that way. You know, there are times when we look back and say, maybe everything's been taken from us. What we learned last week is that we engage in spiritual battles in the physical world, that the arena in which these spiritual battles take place and their spiritual warfare is in our physical world. And as we deal with physical difficulties and trials, um, we are uh, in the midst of battle. And I would, I would refer back to my sermon last week on what it means to do spiritual battle rather than to rehash all of that. You can find that on our webpage. But what we find here is there's a question that is implied here. Will we trust the Lord? Will we trust our Savior? Will we trust our Deliverer? Or will we turn to an idol? Will we turn to a false god that does not deliver. You know, one of the things that people turn to, it's stereotypical. It's only stereotypical because it's typical. People turn to, uh, they may turn to um, drugs. They may turn to alcohol. Uh, when they're in the midst of feeling like everything's been taken from me, some kind of substance abuse. Again, it's typical uh, because it is stereotypical. And we'll talk about idolatry a little bit later in terms of how that practically uh, we can be seduced by idols uh, that are false and are not um, the true God. All right. So now let's look at verses 11 through 40. As I said, this is a long section, but um, it gets kind of interesting. So continue to follow along with me. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. And the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unleavened cakes and put them on, the, on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it stands, still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that, cut you, that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet 
And the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. And they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. And they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all of the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. Well, Really, what we're dealing with today is how to fight part two, uh, how to fight, how to engage in spiritual warfare, part two. And so there are going to be uh, four steps that we're going to see here, four ways in which we are prepared to engage in this spiritual battle. And the first is that we receive a word of encouragement from the Lord. Step one is the promise and the peace of God. We are encouraged to fight by the Lord, and we receive his encouragement. Judges 6.14, and the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And then Judges 6.16, and the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. We learned this yesterday in spiritual warfare that Jesus Christ himself, the very last words of the book of Matthew, Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's not simply stating this in terms of uh, being a comfort to us, which he is, but he is, being, he is going to be with us as we engage in these spiritual battles. Are you weary? Thinking, I'm too weary to battle. Well, Gideon was weary, Right? God wasn't telling Gideon, I want you to go out and conquer some brave new world out there. I want you to go to to India or China. No, the battle came to him. He was minding his own business. The Midianites came in with their hordes and invaded, and he had to retreat up to the hills. Um, Gideon Gideon was exhausted, I'm sure. We find him hiding. Uh, you know, he was winnowing. He was, uh, he was separating the, the chaff from the wheat. You know, normally you would do that in the open air uh, and you'd be in a windy spot and you'd, you'd push it up like this and then the good grain would come down and he was in some uh, wine press, hollowed out, hiding from the Midianites. He was not in a good way. God said to him, do I not send you? I will be with you. And then he also said, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Judges 6, 23 and 24. The Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and he called it. The Lord is peace. Made an impression on him. The Lord said, peace be to you. And that is what God does with us and has done with his people throughout all the ages. The 
The disciples were up in the, in the upper room after the death of Jesus Christ. They had heard about his resurrection. They were confused. They were scared. Gospel of John says they were up there in fear for their lives from the, the Jewish leadership. And Luke 24, 36 and 37 records Jesus' encounter with them. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Then they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And so part of what's going on here with this Gideon account and the reason why God had to say peace to you is because uh, throughout this whole um, uh, gift that Gideon gave and the angel of the Lord and what he did, Gideon understood that who he had seen was no uh, other than God himself. The the theologians call this a theophany that that God had some physical manifestation, but it was the Lord himself. And Gideon understood, I've seen the Lord and I'm going to die because I am a a sinful man before God. I, I know that no one can see God and live. And Gideon didn't see the full Uh, glory of the Lord, but he did see a theophany. And you understand that Gideon in the presence of the Lord as God came near didn't come in a flippant way. He didn't come to God and say, you know, the man upstairs came to me. Um, No, when God draws near, uh, there's a, a right concern before a holy and a just God. As Isaiah, the prophet said, When he encountered the vision of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But God draws near to you, and he draws near to me, and he says, You will not die. You will not die. Why? Why? Because he has provided the way in which we can be close to God. We can be in the presence of God without fear of death, without fear of judgment. The word that we um, use to describe this and the Bible uses to describe it, we talked about when we studied the book of Romans, the word propitiation. It's a very big word. It's a very old word, but it's a word that's packed with meaning. And it means this, that the the wrath of God has been removed from you. It's been removed from me. And it's been placed on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the righteous one, was your substitute. God sent Christ, truly God, truly man, his eternal son, the eternal son of the father came. And he took on the cross the righteous judgment that you deserved and I deserved. So the wrath is transferred from you and from me and it's placed on Jesus Christ. Christ. And we read this in Romans 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we receive this, the benefits of the propitiation through Jesus Christ, through faith and trust in him. We come like Gideon came, understanding that by rights we deserve the judgment of God as we stand before the presence of God. But instead, God comes close and says, peace. And God's propitiation and God's reconciliation with us is so much better than our reconciliation with others. You know, somebody may have really done something bad to you and you might have forgiven them. But in general, there's always some kind of something back there where you remember. Uh, There's some uh, hitch in the relationship, even if there's forgiveness. But with God... 
You're forgiven. You're absolutely perfect in his sight. You receive the perfect record of Jesus Christ. And so he's near to you. So place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, know what it means to have the peace of God, that you are at peace with God. You're no longer in hostility towards God and that he draws near and he says, peace. The second thing that Gideon would have taken from the statement was as God was calling him into battle, very practically speaking, he was not going to die. So again, there's encouragement there. Step two, we find here that God asks Gideon to tear down the family idols and the community idols. And that's what we do as well as we prepare to fight our spiritual battles. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. Uh, The ESV Study Bible says of that verse, covetousness places one's ultimate allegiance in the acquisition of the possessions of others, which often leads to other grave sins. Paul says this is tantamount to idolatry. You know, we have our own personal idols, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute, how we can identify personal idols. But there are also family idols. There are idols in your family, maybe even now, uh, maybe the family you grew up in. Uh, And these idols can drive us and they can lead us away from faith in the one true God. There are idols in our community. There might even be church idols, believe it or not. As a, as a church community, a churches can have idols that actually take precedence over true faith in the one true God. Let's do some identifying of idols. Tim Keller, in his very helpful section on identifying idols, it's Galatians material. These are just several. Um, and he, he talks about an idol is something that you would say life only has meaning. I only have worth if the following. So power idolatry, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. Approval idolatry says life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am loved and respected by fill in the blank. Comfort idolatry, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure, this experience, a particular quality of life. Image idolatry, life only has meaning if I have a particular kind of look or body image. Control idolatry, life only has worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of fill in the blank. Helping idolatry, life only has meaning if people are dependent on me and need me. Dependence idolatry, life only has meaning, I only have worth. If someone is there to protect me and keep me safe, and on and on it goes. I could list probably another two dozen, right? So anything that we would say, life only has meaning, I only have worth, if it's an idol in our lives. It's an idol maybe that drove our family, that drives our family even today. And God says we need to tear these idols down. And uh, Jesus Christ himself said um, that we need to love the Lord We need to love him more than father or mother, more than family. We have to be willing to call out the idols in our lives, and not only in our lives, but in our families. 
Now, I will say this. This doesn't mean that uh, you might, uh, you could actually take this and turn this into an idol. You can say, well, I'm not going to, um, I'm going to dismiss my family, be less concerned about them. Uh, Many a minister has done that. Uh, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to neglect my family. And that is a work idol, right? The Lord has called us uh, to certain callings in life. And so even in ministry, one can be a workaholic because that becomes an idol in their lives. So we're to tear down family idols and community idols and church idols in preparation for warfare. And we need to understand that not everybody is going to respond like Gideon's father, Joash, right? He said, hey, everybody's, that's how far Israel had gone. The Israelites were ready to kill Gideon for tearing down the idol, uh, the, uh, the altar to Baal, false god. And uh, Gideon's father said, look, if Baal is really a god, he can take care of himself. And so don't lay a finger on him. Let's see what God, what Baal can do. He can contend with him. Uh, but you may not be in that situation. You might actually have people in the community and people even in your own families that, uh, that don't respond particularly well. And in such case, we remember the words of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount that we are blessed if we are persecuted for righteousness sake. Step three, we need to be equipped by the Holy Spirit to fight. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. There's this clothing of the Spirit of God that came upon him. We read similarly of God's work in our lives in 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We've got the Spirit who opens our eyes so that we know we delight in God. We turn from our sin, repent of it, trust in the work of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit is also who empowers us with spiritual gifts. So Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Again, the Apostle Paul, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us, u- let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts. In his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does not does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It may be that you, like Gideon, may have spiritual gifts. You might be clothed by the Spirit to lead. And the Apostle Paul says, and lead. But others of you may have gifts in service, may have gifts in generosity, all kinds of gifts that are listed here where God does this to build up the body of Christ that we might, as one body, as a group of people, be engaged in the spiritual battle that God has called us to and help each other as we face difficulties and challenges in life, build one another up for this purpose as well. You might say, what are my spiritual gifts? Pray that God would show you what your spiritual gifts are. And, uh, and sometimes you can, just start to, you can just start to utilize them. Do I have the gifts of service? 
Uh, Begin to serve and find out. Everybody is supposed to serve, but some of you are particularly gifted in areas of service. Uh, Ask leaders in the church. I'd like you to confirm my spiritual gifts. Many a person has gone to seminary uh, before they've had their gifts confirmed for pastoral ministry. Uh, There is a process whereby we can have our gifts confirmed and affirmed by leadership in the church. Step four. Receive confirmation for the fight if you're timid. We find that this is what Gideon does. And here is this section that is actually fairly uh, well known. It's the, uh, the fleece section here. Judges chapter 6, verses 36 and following. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more. With the fleece, please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let it be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Evidently, the first go-round, it was easier to explain naturally that the fleece would uh, soak up the dew, and as the sun came out, the ground around it, would um, the, the dew would evaporate. And so he said, well, let's go step number two, let's do the opposite and have the, uh, the fleece be dry and the ground around it be wet. And so there was confirmation to Gideon. Now, many, uh, many a sermon, many a commentator uh, will talk about the problem that Gideon had in asking this of the Lord. And I believe there probably was a problem. There was probably uh, a lack of faith that we could criticize Um, A part of the problem is we don't want people doing this as a way of trying to figure out what the Lord would have you do, laying out fleeces. Um, Instead, we go to the Word of God as our guide to His will in our lives. And in fact, the reality is Gideon already knew the will of God for his life, right? But But he was timid. He was afraid. This is after he had been clothed with the Spirit of God. This is after God had dramatically shown him that he was the Lord and he was the one who was giving him uh, this call to lead into battle. One of the commentators that I use on the book of Judges is Arthur Kundal, and he says this of this uh, dynamic with Gideon, the Lord deals more tenderly and graciously with his children than any earthly father. And I think that's the main takeaway here, that we uh, can be encouraged in our difficulties, in our trials, in our uh, weakness of faith, that we would go to the Lord and we'd say, Lord, please confirm that this is what I am to do. Please, uh, please strengthen me in this calling on my life. You know, I've known ministers their entire lives, their entire ministries, they've struggled with anxiety and depression. Um, and uh, the Lord has given them very fruitful ministries. Um, and I'm sure there's uh, it, there's cases of spiritual uh, deficit uh, that have contributed to this. There's probably physiological things that have contributed to it. There's circumstances that have contributed to it. 
Um, most famous example is probably Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. And once in a sermon, he said, My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. Some of you could probably relate to that. Why in the world am I weeping like this? Well, that's depression. That's what he's going through. And Charles Spurgeon probably experienced all of those things that I mentioned that could contribute to depression. And I don't know, maybe Gideon had the flu uh, before this encounter. Maybe he was spiritually run down, you know, physically run down. I don't know. And there's nothing in the text that would indicate that. The point is, whatever the reason, Gideon needed encouragement and confirmation. The title of my sermon today is, Here am I, Lord, send me, question mark, right? Here am I, Lord, send me? Am I the one? I don't know. Well, the Lord says to you, turn away from your idols and turn to me for reassurance. The Lord deals more tenderly and graciously with his children than any earthly father. Well, as we now uh, prepare to um, receive the Lord's Supper, let's turn our praise to him in song and let us stand and sing, Behold the Lamb.